Hi, this is Ken Navarro, and welcome to my podcast. Well, it's been a while since I did one of these, and uh, there's a good reason for it. I've been pretty busy working in my studio on what will be my new album. It's going to be released in September, uh, so just a few months. I'm putting the finishing touches on it now. I can tell you a little bit about it. It's got 13 brand new songs. It's pretty funky. It's pretty high energy. And uh, it's coming along really well. I, I'm, I'm very excited about this album because I think it's uh, taken what I did on Unbreakable Heart to um, a much higher level. And so I can't wait to get it out there and share it with you all. And I want to thank you for your uh, likes on Facebook and your interest in what I'm doing. And it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> it takes a while. And I'm, I'm a perfectionist, so it's hard for me to let a new piece of work go. But I'm close and probably got about three or four more weeks of hard work ahead of me to, to put the finishing touches on it, and, and then it'll be released in September. So stay tuned. I'm sure I'll talk more about it in a future podcast, and of course I'll do a preview of the whole album probably sometime in August or early September, just before the record is released. Well, today on my podcast, I am really happy to say that I have the wonderful keyboardist Bill Lawrence uh, this is a, a, a man whose music I have found very inspiring, and he really is the voice, uh, one, of, one of the most important voices in the next generation of jazz musicians, modern jazz musicians. And um, like all the great innovators, Bill's music defies category. We, I guess we're going to call it jazz because that's what you tend to call instrumental music that's improvisational in nature. Um, but it's so much more than that simple description implies. Now, some of you might be familiar uh, with Bill's work because he was one of the original members of the Grammy Award-winning and the internationally acclaimed group Snarky Puppy. Uh, He released his debut album, which was called Flint in 2014, and it immediately went to number one on the iTunes jazz charts. So that is where I first found out about him, and I'm going to tell him that story of how I discovered his music. Now, since the -the out-of-the-gate success of Flint, he released two more albums. In 2015, Swift came out, another masterpiece, and then this year he trimmed his band down to a quartet and released the wonderful After Sun. We're going to hear some of Bill's music later in the show uh, while we're having our conversation, uh, but we, we talked about a lot of things, and uh, besides being a, a, an incredible musician, Bill is clearly a really good soul. And uh, I was a pleasure getting to know him, and I look forward to hopefully bringing him back on the podcast sometime in the future when his next solo release uh, comes out. So Bill is currently on the road with Snarky Puppy, and so I spoke with him during that tour. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Bill Lawrence. (laughs) 
So you you all are in Georgia. You said you just got off the bus, and uh, were were you also in uh, the South last night? Uh, that's right. We're in Asheville. Yeah. Asheville. Oh, that's a cool place to be in the South. Yeah, man. It was it was beautiful actually, uh, and uh, I I remember uh, playing there years ago. You know, when we were kind of less well known, and so it's it's great to be to be back there, and you know, the the crowd was really representing, and uh, it was it was an awesome gig. We had a lot of fun. Uh, that's great. It, it's 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 funny because Snarky Puppy has had one of those kinds of slow but steady rises that um, you know it's 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 amazing to see it happen in this day and age. But obviously, you're you brought you brought this kind of jazz to a whole nother audience that otherwise I don't think would have discovered it. And it, it's, I know people, you know, I'm older than you, but I know people my age who are going to snarky puppy concerts too, but they're just finding out. It's not, it's not something they've known about for two or three years or four years. You know, uh, in some cases I'm turning people on too, awesome. <laughs> but, but you know, it's, it's interesting, Bill. I, I, two years ago, um, I went to New Orleans on April 15th. Uh, this was 2014. And uh, I had that was the release date of an album of my own called Ruby Lane. And so I'm checking my iPhone, seeing how it's doing on the iTunes chart. It's, it's like 38 or whatever, and I'm happy. And I go up to number one, and there's Bill Lawrence <laughs> with an album called Flint. And I, I'm sorry, but I had not heard of you at that time. <laughs> and I... So my initial reaction, of course, you know, being being a typically competitive musician is who's Bill Lawrence and how is he at number one? And you've been there for weeks, you know, <laughs> and how come and how come I don't know about him? Little did I know that clicking on the very first tune on the album, um, Never Ending City, would be the beginning of a huge musical infatuation for me with with what you're doing. Wow. Uh, that that album uh, came out of the gate fully formed. Uh, which is not typical. I mean, very often, as you know, people's debut records can sometimes be a culmination of a lot of stuff that then all of a sudden has an outlet. Um, but to have something as formed and as whole as and and totally one thing as Flint was was remarkable. H- how did that album come about, and how long was it in the making? It's um, a good question. I mean, I, yeah, there's there's a lot of truth in, in what you say in the sense that there, it was really a ten year sort of process, um, and I and I had actually made kind of albums before that that I never really sort of officially completed, um, and and actually each each of those albums had a very kind of specific. Genre uh, involved, so like I, I made a kind of very straight ahead jazz um, oh, rec- record, and then I made yeah. a, I actually did a, a kind of vocal album with me singing. Uh, wow! Yeah, and I and I then I realised I wasn't <laughs> a singer, so then I tried I, I searched for a singer and I found uh, the singer Rihanna Kenny. We did like an electro sure. kind of pop um, album together. Um, so those three kind of projects uh, were all sort of leading up to to Flint in a way and, and I found that with with Flint I kind of rather than trying to kind of categorize one of these genres I, I decided to put them all together exactly uh, exactly and, and so I feel like I just kind of yeah I put them all into the same pot and uh, so you know I, I, I definitely I often say you know Flint was you know, ten years in the making in in, in many respects, right. but but I do feel like it was the you know the the, the sort of final 
I'd finally found some sort of voice, I guess, you know. Um, well, I, I think the voice must have been there, but the, the genius of it was putting all those things together and realizing that your stew was uniquely yours and, and very, very rich. Sorry for all these uh, uh, musical puns or whatever, but they, they really, you know, that, that sometimes people, I think, make the mistake artists do of trying to be something they might really respect and really like, but isn't who they are naturally. And it's the trick of finding who you really are, because that's when it comes from the heart as well as the mind and everything else. I mean, absolutely, uh, absolutely. You know, it, it has it, to be sincere. You know, that's the first thing you can kind of, you can kind of hear. You know, it's what, it's what, right. it's what I'm t- telling my students all the time is, you know, how are you going to play that that makes it sound like you? You know, that's, right, that's the, right, that's, exactly. That's the now, was was most of Flint recorded in the states, or was it recorded in the UK? Um, the live stuff was all rec- recorded in uh, at the Carriage House Studios in uh, Oh, sure, uh, yeah, in just north of New York. Um, so, oh, that's great. So yeah, that was it was awesome. I mean, I but as I said, the majority of material was kind of written or conceived um, like all over the world, really, because I was I was writing a lot of the time uh, on the road with Snarky Puppy, so I'd kind of right. be in the back Back of the bus on a little one octave MIDI keyboard, just sort of, you know. And I found using using the kind of the, you know, being in transit a lot of the time, I found that to be quite a sort of inspiring place to write, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting, and you named the album Flint, which it took me a while to realize that you really meant Flint, Michigan. (laughs) You know, I I I just thought it was a cool title, and you know, Flint just has a sound to it. It's a great musical word yeah. and then i realized cause i played flint a few times myself and as we know yeah. it's such a it was it's been a troubled city for a long time yeah. but yeah. it's pretty cool that such a wonderful record has the name of that city on right. it and they should be very proud awesome. yeah. <laughs> well congratulations on the new album after sun uh, i heard you play many of the the compositions from it in uh, bethesda maryland in the washington dc area uh, when you were doing your own uh, quartet tour and it was really great to hear those tunes played live, which I think is how they were probably conceived more than Swift or Flint. Uh, They really came off great. Tell me a little bit about that transition from the recording studio, where you clearly are a perfectionist, to going out live with just a quartet. The horns aren't there, the strings aren't there, and, and you do an amazing job of handling all of the keyboard stuff, which is a whole nother skill. Uh, but but how? What's that like for you? Speaking as a as a perfectionist, I I know it's very hard for me sometimes to go out and hear the music not represented the way that I initially intended it. How how do you make that transition, or do you just take it as it comes and no problem? <laughs> um, I mean, it's it, it is a tough one. You know, you're always kind of. Um, married to the to the original song and and it's right. you know that is the challenge is kind of representing it uh to its to its kind of fullest um but i i i, I mean right now i'm i'm touring um with this amazing percussionist he's a guy called felix higginbottom and uh he's a uk guy and uh, he also yeah. plays keyboards so he's he's kind of fulfilling the role of of like all the extra percussion overdubs that we did on top of right. all the kind of strings and horns that we we did we've sort of, we spent a lot of time working just to get this as a duo just kind of getting all the sounds wow. and the keyboards yeah. to kind of re- you know reflect the, the the record but but not completely sort of um, reenact it you know we, we wanted right. we wanted to find right. a, a new interpretation of it so rather than him playing like string patches he's playing like more synth kind of pads, yeah, exactly. pads and stuff to kind of 
take it in a new sort of more, I guess, live direction. You know. Um, are Are you using any sequencing at all? No. No. Wow. No. Good for you. I mean, you know, I I know from my own experience having trouble letting go of all those parts I conceived and then having to do with a quartet, using sequencing does that, but it really restricts the feel of, of the band. Um, and ev- even with great players, yeah. it, it's just, uh, I u- used a player named Joel Rosenblatt. I don't know if you ever worked with him. He was with Spyro Gyro for many years. A wonderful player, a guy who can p- put on a pair of headphones and play eight minutes straight to a click and and, and music going on. But... It's different. It doesn't breathe anymore the same way, the rhythmic part of it. And in your music, that's so critical, it seems to me, especially the After Sun, all of, all of your music, but After Sun in particular. Uh, so I'm glad to hear that. It, now, is that the percussionist I would have heard in Bethesda in the DC show? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, he's more than a percussionist and, a, and, and, of course, the keyboard, but I feel like he's also... He brought something more than here's some percussion parts that so. fill it in. Yeah. He's yeah. he's got he's got a unique thing going yeah, on. Yeah, he really that, does. He really that does. Really worked. Work. Yeah, no, he's 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 an awesome force, man. He's 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 great. He's great fun on the road. He's a really lovely guy. That's cool. important too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you 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 have one more show in the U.S. tomorrow night. Is that right? Uh, with Snarky Puppy, yeah, we're, we're right. in Georgia tonight, and then we're in Jacksonville tomorrow. Oh, the Jacksonville Jazz Fest. Uh, I believe so. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a, that's a, oh, you're gonna have a great crowd for that. I, the weather is it looking good? Uh, it's usually I think an outdoor so. thing. Are you guys outdoors? You probably I think are. So. I think so. It, it's, yeah. And then, will you be able to go back home for a little while before you go back out again? Yeah. So I have a week at home uh, in which I'm gonna yeah sort of um, make up with my fiance, uh, have, <laughs> you know, and make the most of one week, and then I'm off again for another month. To Asia, um, and then wow, uh, with Snarky, puppy. all with Snarky, yeah, yeah, and then I'm back for a week, and then we're off to Europe again uh, for oh my lord, tour, man, so. you're you, how, well. That that brings me to one of the many th- questions I have for you. You obviously have your your musical hands in a lot of different places. Uh, Snarky Puppy is one of what it looked like to me were five or six different activities. Obviously, your own music, which is very ongoing and what I really want to talk the most about today, but you're also composing for film and TV and some commercials. You're involved with dance, Alvin Ailey, no less. Uh, (laughs) And you're, and as you alluded to your teaching, how with, with going out like that, I know playing has got to be your first love, uh, but composing has to be right up there. And I'm wondering how you juggle all these things, (laughs) not to mention your, your personal life. Yeah, Yeah. It's, it's definitely a challenge. Uh, I mean, yeah. you know, I remember Robert Spott Seawright saying a while ago when we were doing a clinic and somebody asked, how do you balance all these things? And he, and he said, uh, like, balance is, is, is the key, you know, and right. uh, just making sure you allot time for all these things. So as far as the recording side of things goes, I, I, I try and sort of schedule in albums, like, um, right, up, I you know, before they happen, or at least... I say that to be fair. The last two, I, it was like a kind of four month, like with Swift. Oh, sorry, mm-hmm. um, with After Sun. You know, I, I gave myself like a four month sort of bracket to to conceive right. the album. So I had, you know, I booked the studio four months in advance, and I had, I knew I had, I had to find the material within those four months. You know, and then so once that's in the diary, then I kind of, you know, I'm I'm sort of working around those dates um, with with other work. Um, I mean, it's true. I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I'm focusing on on my own writing 
uh, for you know my, as a, as an artist as opposed to writing for commercials now. But it's certainly something I used to do a, a lot of. And and then while I was living uh, in Leeds, um, I was lucky enough to play with uh, all these different dance companies because um, I was right. a company in dance. Um, yeah. So and that's that that actually kind of inspired a lot of the music that I've written um, was through accompanying movement. You know, I found it to be a really kind of inspiring environment compositionally. So. Yeah, I kind of find they they all feed into each other, you know, and uh, they all they're all uh, they all have their own relevance. But um, right, but I think there's definitely a point where you know I'm I'm trying to kind of prioritize, and I'm 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 trying to put more of my time and energy into writing myself, you know. Right. Well, it's a very time-consuming thing, especially the kind of writing you're doing. Um, I mean, I'm assuming that you're writing all your own string arrangements, and th- these are not. You're not hiring people to do this. As I lived in L.A. for a long time, and I learned very quickly how many people were not actually writing a lot of the scores that were, they were being credited for. They were writing the music at a piano and then gave it to a, a handful of people to orchestrate sure, it. Sure, but I mean, Mike, Mike League has been integral in terms of you know realizing a lot of the sounds. Like for, right. for, for Flint in particular, I, I, I would kind of write the, the string arrangements on within, mm-hmm. within the demo, within Logic, so I had the kind of parts right. there, and then I'd give them to Mike, and he would kind of realize them on the page. So, right, so he, right. was, he was integral in kind of, you know, um, creating, creating that sound on Flint. But as the albums have progressed, I've sort of tried to take, uh, take more of the, the, the ownership, you know, and, um, and kind of write myself. So That's part of the fun, yeah. too, I think. <laughs> well, when you're writing, do you use virtual instruments at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, initially, I, I was literally just using Logic and just all the sounds on Logic, you know, which, you know, obviously has a very kind of MIDI kind of sound, but, uh, but um, was sort of adequate to kind of, Get a sense of whether you know how the how the atmosphere of the song was going to feel. You know? Oh, of course, yeah. And as you know, the writing can make even mediocre sounds sound good, and the the worst lousy string writing makes Vienna Symphonic Library stuff sound bad. Yeah, so you exactly. know, it's re- it's really the writing that and the you know that does it. I think it's true. It's true. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Uh, well, let, let's go back a little bit. Um, where you know, we talked about all these different influences you have that you've successfully melded together into your sound. But I'm wondering, where were you raised? Were you? Were, I assume you were raised in the UK. Yeah, I was. Yeah, and and what part? Of, what part of the country? Sure, I grew up in London. So born, born, oh born, wow, raised in London. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but yeah, my my mum was a folk singer, a kind of small wow. small scale folk singer. She she mm-hmm. you know, she used to play in like in local parks and stuff. I remember mm-hmm. running around and telling everybody it was my mum on stage. And, wow, you know, yeah, I remember that yeah. being an early kind of inspiration. And then my, sure. my my dad, I mean, he's got a mean whistle on him, but that's kind of about it, really. Uh, but you know, he, he's he, he's a very um, deep lover of classical music. So yeah, he kind of has always encouraged me into that direction. So, my my first teacher was a ragtime player, and he kind of instilled this sense of joy from the beginning. So I was always just mm-hmm. kind of wanting to play ragtime, and it was only I was only ever really playing the scales so that I could play ragtime. You know? Right, right. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, so you started right away with piano. It wasn't one of these things where you played on some other instruments and found your way there. It was from the beginning. I think so. I mean, there was always the piano in the house, and I, yeah, I, yeah, I kind of, yeah. I've, 
was always sort of I always gravitated towards it. Um, I remember playing drums on like the upside down, um, you know, cookie tins. And oh, stuff, sure, and all, sure, yeah. all the rest. But yeah, the piano was definitely kind of the beginning. So I started lessons when I was seven, and then and then wow. and then and then later I I sort of went down the the classical road and, and you know and did the grades and kind of and then I did a classical degree at Leeds University where I was lucky enough to conduct an orchestra there and, and I got loads of really kind of amazing experience in the classical world and then and then I left Leeds University and, but stayed in Leeds and kind of played um, that's where I started doing lots of dance work um, and, uh, and that's actually also where I met ended up meeting Mike Leake um, in in Leeds, yeah. Ah, oh, wow. I I wondered about that. I mean, I knew you didn't have anything to do with North Texas State, where I kind of think of Snarky Puppy as originating from. Maybe is that right? Maybe that's not even right. No, that's that's um, right. Well, University of North Texas, yeah, uh, yeah, that's the one. So, uh, I, we had a mutual friend who went there, and that's where he met Mike League and invited him back um, to the UK to do some gigs. So, I and I was on that that random gig and that's where it's all started yeah, yeah wow yeah. that's great well it's it's, it's a great partnership yeah. uh and and so the the jazz influence your very first teacher at seven played ragtime that and so that's where any connection with jazz started right at the beginning it really wasn't classical first although yeah. clearly classical was in your head from your dad yeah. and in the house yeah. and and, uh, and i bet your dad has the genes, you know, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? It's in there, I bet, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I really believe that it comes from both parents usually, although you never know. I mean, your mom clearly was the, the musician. No, I, I think, I but, think, you know, I, I, no, I'm going to take that back. I, uh, you're, you're right. Because <laughs> my dad yeah. definitely has a musical instinct, you know, he, mm-hmm, exactly. He yeah. Has, he does understand, you know, what, and then he's a, he just absolutely loves it. So, um, you know, I, he's definitely passed that on for sure. Well, I, I know I've met people in my life who they he, they don't play anything, or they do, they don't tell you about it, and they but they hear inside the music in the same way that a musician does, and that that's a skill I don't think you can teach. Mm. You know, I always say if you want to play an instrument. That's actually a physical skill if you're willing to put in the time. You know, we all know there are people with gifts for these things. Lyle Mays is very proud of saying that he always played the way he played when he was 18, you know. But whether that's true or not, I don't know. But, you know, it may be. But, but most of us aren't like that. But if you want to do it, you can learn an instrument. But the skill of hearing that way uh, is something different, I think. And I, I bet your dad has quite a bit of that. Mm, mm, that's a good point, that. actually. He's, he's, he's uh, you know, people often say he's quite a sensitive guy. So I, I think, yeah, right. I think he's in, past, in general. Past, past that one to some degree, yeah. So are your parents both still working? Um, yeah, well, they've, they've uh, well, I should say my mum is sort of becoming more and more retired, I guess. She's just moved, mm-hmm. moved to Brighton and she's doing a... Uh, an MA in photography right now. So, but she's wow, yeah, good for her. Yeah, That's great. Yeah, no, was, well, um, uh, my dad just um, is also kind of on his way to retirement. But he, he was mm-hmm. writing for the the independent newspaper in the UK for for years, and it's, oh, is that right? Just gone freelance. So yeah, wow, yeah. So were they both fairly supportive of you as uh, as you clearly were going to pursue music as a profession? I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure, for sure. They they've been amazing throughout. You know, I think that's great. I mean, certainly from my dad. And he was—I mean—he was the one who was adamant that I should study classical music. <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, it's, get the foundations yeah, it, down, you know. But yeah, what what people 
it's scary to our parents because they don't really understand it. Maybe your mom more than your dad, but it, it, you know, they just want you to be safe and everything to be okay. So they're looking at how do you manage to have a, you know, make, have a background in with music education and classical music that will will somehow in their minds ride you through the tough times you know, <laughs> that they don't even know what they are. You know, yeah, right. it's, it's scary. Yeah. I, 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 I know I have two kids who are both grown now and, you know, you, you it just, you, you want, you just want everything to be okay. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> sure. You know, it's like that, no, you know, so totally. I mean, I so, have to say, you know, a lot of people have, so you can't you can't necessarily impose what your kids are going to do, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try my best. <laughs> <laughs> now you're engaged. You're recently engaged. I am. I am. Yeah. Is her name Madeline? Uh, that's actually her middle name. Yeah. Oh, her middle name. Okay, because yeah. I know there's a song on the new album After Sun, one of my favorite songs, in oh, fact. Oh. Uh, and I was so happy when you guys played it uh, in, in D.C. a few months back. Right. Uh, it, are it, are you getting married? Uh, Somewhere in between one of these tours, or <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, September. So, so we oh, really? Oh, it's coming up soon. Well, yeah, congratulations! Yeah. That's okay. great. Well, and I assume is is she uh, from the UK also? She is. She is indeed. Yeah, she's an actress, so she understands. Oh, wow. She understands the sort of touring life. Like she's she's very right. very sympathetic to it. But, uh, how, did, how did you guys meet? Uh, you know, we were actually at the same halls of residence at university, like 10, mm-hmm. well, yeah, I suppose, uh, like 13 years ago now. Um, and, and then, uh, we kind of knew of each other then, and then I was playing at a wedding and she was at that wedding and we recognized right. each other and, and that was it, you know? Uh, that's great. <laughs> I know you sometimes, uh, I've been married I'm I'm going to age myself here, but we're going to celebrate our 43rd anniversary. Oh, later wow, this year. wow! I know I can't believe it. How did this happen? You know? <laughs> uh, but sometimes I met her when we were extremely young, like 14 years old, okay. and uh, and sometimes you just know. But then again, when you're young, you know you've waited to a, till a respectable age to 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 make to make the to throw your lot in with with being part of the married. Uh, crowd, but you know, we got married when we were barely twenty years old, and I think back and I go, "What did we? What? How did we know what we were doing?" I mean, you know, we we were just figuring out everything at that point. But sometimes you just know, you know, that that that's the connection is there, and it especially helps. She clearly knows you as a musician, and now does she understand, you know, what that means? But that's who she fell in love with. You know, she doesn't want you to be something else. That's exactly what she wants. And that, that's, that's one of the biggest blessings I think for musicians when they find somebody who not only gets them, but that's what they want. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you, you know, I, I, I feel like I, I'm trying to be very conscious of making and, you know, I guess just making an effort to, to be, Connected, you know, because it's like when you're on the road, it's hard to get Wi-Fi, and you know. You're sort of, oh yeah, and, and I know. So I think that effort is required, but um, you know, it's uh, it's yeah. I, as you say, I'm, I'm I'm I couldn't be happier. Yeah, that's great. Well, September will be is around the corner at this point. <laughs> so true. it's come. It's, well, so I, I I know you know I see where the classical influences came, you know, and why they're so strong. Um, the jazz, though, I'm, I, I understand ragtime and having a teacher like that, but how did you move from that to having such a thorough understanding of playing straight ahead? Because there's some wonderful YouTubes of you playing straight ahead stuff. Uh, to, and then to playing modern jazz with all the influences that, that we all have, mm. including, you know, uh, I mean, I, I don't know of 
if the sound of Joe Zavinol's influence yeah. is, yeah. I hear it not so much in your piano playing, but uh, but certainly in your choice of sounds are that same organic. Sure, it's like you're inventing new real sounds, yeah. which is I love. Right, you know, right. The opposite of synthesis. Sure. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just very natural. Sure. Um, sure. Uh, but um, I'm wondering how you may, how you got from ragtime and all of the classical influence to discovering at what I imagine are you in your 30s yes yeah yeah you're you know that's all stuff for me that was our music coming up yeah. you know I mean I was 22 going to see the Pat Metheny group you know and, <laughs> and Herbie Hancock yeah. and people like that yeah. um you know how did you how did that happen for you where where you discovered those people and then and obviously fell in love with what they were doing for sure well I, I yeah no absolutely there was an album I remember I was on holiday in Italy I was on with my dad and we were driving in a hire car and I just bought this this record called Sunlight uh, mm -hmm. by Herbie Hancock and I, sure. and I put it on and it just absolutely it was like this kind of lightning bulb moment and I, mm -hmm. it was like the sounds that I'd been searching for it felt like for my, my entire life up to that point and you know it was this kind of amazing combination of instrumental improvisation with really amazing groups but then also this kind of vocoder kind of um, vo right, vocal sure. you know right. so it was the combination of song and uh, and groups and then like you know just when you, I thought that wasn't enough then he brings in a whole symphony orchestra you know <laughs> it's like oh my god this is this is everything I've been searching for you know right and, right and so that kind of started a, a very sort of deep love of, of Herbie's work and, and how old were you at that time? I was I was 14 then wow yeah. 14 yeah yeah so and you know and in many ways I feel like Flint particularly you know um, was was an attempt at trying to just kind of recreate that that record, you know? Well, or the feeling the that feeling you of, had, exactly, you know? exactly, yeah, yeah, um, you know, and 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 so I've kind of been chasing ever since I heard that record. I've sort of been chasing it, um, but in terms of any, you know, like jazz repertoire that I've developed. I mean, I I, I was doing a, a restaurant gig for, for from the age of about um, sort of thirteen or fourteen. Mm. All the way through, on and off till about uh, twenty, twenty-three, twenty-four. Um, this place in Soho that I kind of just walked into one afternoon on a, on a Friday, and, they, and there was a piano in there. And I said, "You know, do you have anyone playing?" And and then I was just there for the next ten years, kind of on and off, like just wow. just playing. Yeah. You know, and, and that's I, I would I always say it's kind of where I sort of cut my teeth, I guess. And oh was, yeah, was, and you could bring in any tune you thought of yeah. and you're working on and play it exactly. And I was just forced to to have repertoire, but you know, at the same time, people had come there to eat, not to listen to me. So I was sort of, you know, it was it was always this tough environment mm. and after a while I got you know I got frustrated but I would uh, I would basically just try and like find somebody's foot that was tapping and, <laughs> right like, oh that's and, great. and I'd focus on that foot and just try yeah. and try and get it get the whole leg going until you know <laughs> until they were like you know with me right you know? oh that's great so, well you know we've all done gigs like that and yeah. I mean to have one this was solo piano I assume, absolutely right? yeah oh man to have a solo piano gig like that ongoing for 10 years is is a dream I think I you know even even if it's not the the most conducive listening mm -hmm. situation um just doing it over and over again and and you're and uh, from what i understood your next project 
after the live DVD for After Sun, which I know you're in the midst of now, and I want to talk about that. But I, you're you're looking at doing a, a solo piano album next. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. yeah Whoa. Yeah. So well, now I see where that came from. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, in a way, you have to understand from from me only really being familiar with you for the last two and a half years. That was a surprise to me. Not not a surprise because you're clearly uh, an acoustic piano player at the center, mm. um, but nevertheless it's such a different undertaking from the music that you've produced in the last three years which is a lot of music three hours of music um and so but now i see where that is coming from well what how are you going to approach that album will will it be all new compositions i mean it's a wide open possibilities it's it's in it's in its sort of genesis as we speak really we're kind Mm -hmm. of uh i'm I'm currently working that out I'm, i'm actually talking a lot with uh, Nick Hard, the guy who's mixed the last three albums, uh, mm-hmm. about kind of how to approach the sound of the record, because um, uh, I don't want to just do another, like, kind of solo piano ballad album, you know, like, right. obviously there will be some sort of ballad, but slower classical uh, things in there, but I, you know, I, I'm, I want to kind of really explore the keyboard instrument to its full sort of capacity. So I'm, I, I want to look into like recording, you know, using, like hitting the other parts uh, of the piano mm-hmm. and creating percussion from that. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and also, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in kind of exploring the soundscapes that, that different pianos can create. So that's great. You know. I, I mean, this is what I should have known I <laughs> when you say it, it's like, of course that's what he's going to do. Uh, you know, I know you're not going to make a, a traditional, re- we've got some, so many of those already, you know, I'm sure you can do it. That's not the point. Uh, the point is what, what you bring to it that's Bill Lawrence. And, and obviously that, that's, that sounds really exciting. And I could see why the engineer's, you know, critical to it because he's, he's, he's the only other player, so to speak. Exactly. Um, exactly. So, so will you record that um, at home, most likely? Well, where, is that where he is? Uh, he's actually in New York. Oh, he is. So, yeah. oh. I mean, we're kind of as we're talking with we're, we're like. I mean, he's been telling me about all these random little studios ah, right. outside of New York, and and they all have very specific sounding pianos. So, you know, the what I'm what I'm sort of working towards is is like doing a track at a different like you know finding a different I see per, per song kind of thing. Um, yes, and really exploring the different the different ranges of different pianos. You know, um, that's the point. and. And as far as the material, are you going to write things specifically for this album? Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm working on that at the minute. I mean, it, I have to say that writing the solo piano album is, is, is more tricky uh, on a two-octave MIDI keyboard, you know. Uh, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. obviously, if you're doing the full symphonic arrangements. Yeah, then. especially the way you're talking about, where you're going to utilize the, uh, so, the entire range yeah, of the piano. Yeah, exactly. So it's a tricky one. I think, you know, it's going to be more time consuming in terms of like you know spending time in each studio and, and getting the songs but I, yeah I'm, I'm kind of working on the the sort of dna of each song on the road and then i'm going to sort of take that to the studio and um, explore it but i'm i'm also toying with the idea of, it, of including electronics i, I don't you know, mm-hmm. i'm kind of close the idea but um i'm interested in this this crossover you know of, of the classical meets electronica thing and and i think you know that's that's a really interesting fusion oh yeah and in your hands i mean not to not to let that be a possibility at the least is would be like tying one hand behind yeah, your back yeah, you know yeah. it, especially with again your unique stew i mean that's something only you 
could bring that to a to what is at the center an acoustic piano album. Um, I don't think I'd be all that interested in hearing most people try to do that <laughs> because I don't know that that's really an acoustic instrument. The electronics can be can can live with that. Yeah, that makes total sense in your hands. So that's going to be. And when are you hoping for that record to be? Uh, fully finished and then released i think it's going to be early early next year is what we're right we're that aiming, sounds right. aiming for so so well yeah. you clearly are a very disciplined uh musician and you have to be just to keep everything you're doing and lined up uh but that's it's working hard and being disciplined about it are you know uh, yet another skill that um and now the the live um, DVD that that you're preparing for After Sun is that already been rec- well, obviously it was recorded from the tour I assume yes yes that's so it's actually it's um it's just a live recording of of a, of a concert that we performed um, last year at London's Union mm-hmm. Chapel oh right so the, so be right so it's actually the tour before so actually it's with me Mike and Sput, um as the trio and also with Felix on percussion and then features this amazing string trio from uh, the Metropole Orchestra called the West, oh, right. the West Side yeah. Trio so it's um, three string players and a French horn uh, player called Katie Christie and then oh, wow. I got Andy LaViolette who, who's done all the sort of snarky puppy DVD stuff he, we flew him over to, to make a DVD of this concert so it's like a mm-hmm. multi-cam you know DVD and it look it, yeah I have to say I'm really excited about it it's looking and sounding really really cool oh that's that's great I know it's a whole nother thing to do a DVD right. or to do a lot and to do it right again talk yeah. about you know the how was the how was the I assume that night the acoustic piano was perfection. Uh, yeah, you, we, ma- you made absolutely sure of that. <laughs> we did, we did. Yeah, and it, it was super cool just having an audience, you know, because obviously, oh, sure. everything up yeah. to that point I've released has been studio with overdubs, you know, and, and this is right. what you hear is what what the audience exactly is. Yes. Well, what that that brings me to another thing, you know, as a guitarist, uh, you know, things aren't perfect in a lot of situations, especially flying somewhere, getting off a plane doing it two or three days, four days in a row, in your case, weeks in a row. But I can always pretty much count on my instrument, my main instruments being exactly what I, how they're supposed to be. Uh, I'm wondering what that must be like for you to go, like with, the, with your solo tour the, with the quartet and a different piano. Because I assume you had pianos everywhere. Yeah, like, yeah and, they, and, and uh, how, how do you handle that? Because I know that, I mean, I just know that's just not a perfect world. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a gamble, you know, I mean, every every day. But I, I guess it, it keeps it interesting, you know. It's like every piano has it has its own personality. and it's That's true. It's just yeah. about trying to, trying to, you know, I mean, I, I mean, it sounds silly, but every time I, I get to the venue, I'm, I, you know, I, I introduce myself to the piano and we get to know each other, you know. <laughs> right. And it's like, we have, okay, because we have to get on here. So, you know, I, right. I get to know, you know, what where the piano feels good or where, you know, maybe if there's some keys that need to be avoided. But, you know, um, it's definitely that, that, that relationship. Man, well, you've got the right attitude. I, <laughs> I admire that. It's, it's, I, I, I wonder about that, you know, especially when we, when we saw you in the D.C. area. Um, it, it, the, the, the piano, by the end of the first half of the show, mm-hmm. uh, needed to be tuned again. Yeah, I don't right. think, I don't think most people notice, you know, I was just angry about it yeah, by the end yeah. because I'm just, I'm, you know, <laughs> I, I, I did my solo guitar show at that venue a few years ago right. and, uh, 
you know, they really care about the music there, as I imagine a lot of places you go, and, and they, they don't want that to happen. But fortunately, the whole break was spent tuning it up, and it was in great shape. And, and it, you know, like I said, I think it's more musicians that are going to notice that kind of thing. Yeah. But I, I felt for you when it started to go, yeah. you know. And you just, you just played your ass off. You didn't, you didn't hesitate. I couldn't, I would have never known from you that there was any issue, right, you know. Right. Oh, um, that's good. <laughs> yeah, oh no, well that's why I say you, you, you know, I, I, I hope you don't mind me asking you about that. No, right? not at all. I, I, I I have to always wonder what it's like for an acoustic pianist to deal with that. Sure, you know? I mean it's, it's something I've I've definitely learned from being on the road with Snarky is you know just like I mean we often talk about this this the astronauts approach of working the problem you know mm-hmm. and Snarky are one of the best you know examples of this for me like you know whenever we've been under some kind of difficult situation or you know when 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 our chips are down like rather than kind of making a bigger problem out of it. We we work the problem. We 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 find a solution and and, and you know and just try and have a um, a positive and constructive response to it. And and I, right, and I think right. I, I truly I wholeheartedly believe that's the kind of secret to any success that we've had. I feel like is 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 that attitude and that kind of that persistence um, of you know optimism. I think uh, mm-hmm. you know. And with Snarky Puppy, it's such a complex, I mean, just getting people from one place to another is its own challenge, I'm, I'm sure it's sometimes. And, uh, you know, keeping it all together and it, it is, is hard enough, but touring by definition is imperfections. Yeah. Uh, that that you, you, like you said, that's exactly right. You just, it, instead of making everybody turning into a prima donna, and I've seen that too, mm-hmm. having worked in L.A. for a while and been out on the road with a few people. Right. <laughs> you know, I saw that happen. It was like an insult when things weren't perfect. Right. Instead of like, how do we yeah. handle this yeah. and make it better? Exactly. Um, exactly. And then we're all caught off in that, you know, that's it. That's and, and it. All, all that attitude instead of solving the problem. Absolutely. You know, going to have to be solved anyway. Oh, exactly. <laughs> you got to deal with it and deal with it. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not, well, I like your, I like what you said about Hello, greeting the piano, you're trying to be, have a, some kind of relationship with it because you're going to be working together. <laughs> exactly. You know that that's that that's right. You know, um, so I, with with I, I by the way, before I forget, I happened to see this morning on your page on Facebook a picture of you and Quincy Jones. Oh yeah, which was so cool. Tell me how that came yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we were um, we, we we did this random gig. Uh, we well we met. Paul Allen, who is this, um, mm-hmm. uh, he's like basically the second in command at Microsoft. and he. Oh, yeah, I know Paul Allen. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so he randomly was at one of our snarky puppy shows oh, and, uh, cool. and just loved the band and, and then eventually invited us out onto uh, this, this boat that, um, that he was kind of throwing a sort of party for. And uh, it just so happened uh, Quincy Jones was on the boat, you know. Wow. Uh, so we were able to actually hang out with him. For, for a week I mean it was it was mm-hmm. oh this was a, an extended trip yeah yeah, wow. yeah so it was truly one of the most inspiring weeks of, of our lives I think you know and, and he really I mean he's 84 and he I remember we, we, we were we were wow. talking in a bar for, for ages I was kind of you know I couldn't believe how 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 long we were chatting for and then and then he was like let's go to this other bar so we we, we went, to the, went to this other bar and we got there at like 2 or 3 in the morning and a few of the guys who were at the bar already they they said to him, you know, uh, oh, Quincy, we didn't expect you to be up this day. <laughs> uh, and then Quincy's like, 
man, we invented this shit. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, you know, and it's kind of, 84. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. Lord. And, and sure enough, I mean, every night it was him and the snarky crew, like, till mm-hmm. 8 in the morning, like, literally without wow. fail, just, wow. just us lot, you know. And, so at some point you kind of, <clears throat> you forget he's Quincy Jones, yeah. and he's just a guy, I mean, he's a person who loves music first and foremost, Absolutely. and the rest, the ego and all that is really secondary. Exactly. It's not there at all. And that's what, that's exactly what was so refreshing you know he's just he's a very humble guy and you know he said to me several times during the week he's like man this is crazy isn't it you know what a what a, what a life we're living here wow yeah. like just wow you know and he just wow. he, he, even he can't believe what kind of life he's had you know and, and that yeah, that yeah. is so inspiring you know um, oh, that's very inspiring and then the, the 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 sort of cherry on the cake was um at the end the kind of final uh, headline guest artist um stevie wonder shows up oh my lord and gives us a sort of private concert to like 200 people or whatever and wow. i managed to get one tiny kind of um word with him i mean obviously there's a whole queues of people queuing mm-hmm. to talk with him but i, I just said you know i'm because uh, he'd heard us play when, when we played in the jam session afterwards and I said it's Bill Lawrence from Snarky Puppy and it's like hey man you guys sound great uh, you know and I said uh, do you have one sort of pearl of uh, wisdom or uh, one sentence for, for a young aspiring musician and he, he looked away he thought about it for a second and he said uh, uh, you are the glue of society and it's your role and responsibility to keep love on this planet Wow. Uh, and I was, well, okay, thanks, Stevie. <laughs> exactly. He, and he's been doing that. You know, he lobbied hard in, this, in the U.S. for a, a Martin Luther King holiday. And yeah. that's in the 80s. I mean, he's been doing this for a long time. And that's always been something that, hand in hand, uh, I, I know when they, when they inaugurated the new Martin Luther King um, statue in, in D.C. I live outside of Baltimore, so and I grew up in D.C., so that my backyard he was there uh you know a long 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 time coming to see that happen i guess that was 2012 or 13 and to think how long he's been trying to get that kind of recognition um and for it to happen you realize that's commitment you know it's not because it's politically looks like it might sell some more records you know it's just what he believes so when he says something like that I, i think he means it from the heart although i i think if he realized just how Far beyond aspiring musician, you are. Uh, you, you should you should send him one, two, three, all of the records. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. he he would love them. And and as as somebody who's from way way back, you know, been mm. been a, a somebody who understood the studio as an instrument in and of itself, he would he'd be blown away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope someday he gets to gets to hear your work uh, as well. That's a good point. No, I I, I should. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, good. You, I mean, I know you, those opera, those situations. You know, they they yeah. they come once in a lifetime, and I've I've unfortunately sometimes it's it's great that you went up to him. I for some reason have found myself uh, I I get uh, suddenly shy around the yeah. sometimes the people who when I have that opportunity. One time I was playing in L.A just doing what so many people did on the weekends from the guys who did the tonight show to there was a band called Oingo Boingo back then. I was on a, uh, what we called a casual with all these, these players. That's what everybody did on a Saturday night, make a couple hundred bucks. And I see this guy, Helen Reddy. Do you know who Helen Reddy is? Uh, that's okay. Oh man, you're so much younger than me. Well, she was a huge star in, in the 60s, 70s. She had a song called I am woman, 
which was like the woman's lib theme song. She was, you'll have to just take my word for it. Yeah, She was not an important artist, but she was big. (laughs) Um, So she's like the star of this thing. Like sometimes these ritzy Beverly Hills parties would hire, they could afford to hire somebody to do a 50-minute show in the middle. But anyway, the point of the story is I see this guy with hair like down, way down his back, and I'm like, this doesn't make any sense, but that looks just like Lyle Mays. You know, and this is just like a room with a hundred doctors having their Christmas party. And he's messing with the little PA system that she's going to use, right? It's Lyle Mays. And I would have liked to have talked. This is 1988. I would have loved to talk to him. Everybody else in the band. I was the only one who knew who he was. Do you believe that? These are like studio LA musicians and they never heard of Lyle Mays. It's one of the, that's one, that was a moment when I said, I think I shouldn't be in this city too much longer. These people aren't musically, you know, anyway, that's my opinion. I think, I I, I think you are the heir apparent to Lyle Mays and, and very important musicians for musicians not to know. So anyway, um, I never said a word to him. Everybody else in the band was talking, fishing with him, everything but music with him, like he was some guy. And I was too shy to say anything. Really? Uh, and oh, he was yeah. he was basically the, 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 his girlfriend was one of the keyboards in Helen, keyboardist in Helen Reddy's band. And he was just there hanging out right, really, <laughs> to really. help with the PA, you know. So, oh, you know, it's, 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 it's good that you went right up and, and yeah, talked to him. I, think, and, I mean, I definitely felt, you know, because especially when there's a queue of people and you could see he's just there, like, wanting to just relax. And, right, right. You know, you just, you, obviously, he's getting inundated all the time. But I found, like, you know, I mean, I just, just hearing him speak, I realized his, his, his mission is, is just to sort of spread, spread the word. Yeah, and yeah. If, if, if somebody is, is going to ask, you know, for more of that, then he's going to be receptive. You know, yeah. I, I, I did. I asked him. I, I mean, I thought that was going to be my only question. And he, he was sort of so that his response was so kind of enlightening. I was like, right, I've got to ask another one. Right. <laughs> so, I, so I said, uh, do you consider yourself a content individual? And, and he wow. said, I know, I don't quite know where that goes. Well, that's, I mean, it, it makes sense, yeah. but it's, it's yeah. not a question I would have thought to ask. <laughs> and, uh, and so he said, uh, I'm, I'm content in myself, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, but I'm sad in my heart for, mm-hmm. for, for, for all the, the grief and suffering on, on this planet right now. Mm-hmm. And he was really, you know, quite profound about that. And, uh, you know, um, it's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's really kind of affected by... His his mission to you know his mission for Pete's basically right, you know, it's, right. it's a, it goes very deep and it's what drives him I'm sure to keep doing yeah. what he's doing after so yeah. many years I mean yeah. imagine you know doing what you're doing for another thirty years and where where you're at at that point how you know what what drives you at that point yeah. um, you've yeah. done everything. Yeah, what, yeah. what it, it's not ambition anymore it can't be you know yeah uh, yeah but yeah. it's one of the blessings of music um as a career uh, it's not career is not the right word for it but it's one of the blessings is that it's something that you don't retire from mm-hmm. uh i'm of the age where i'm looking around i have friends in a lot of different fields lawyers doctors accountants and they're all trying to figure out what they're going to do you know I don't have any question about what I'm going to do. Nothing's changed, really. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Well, I mean, I, I'm going to what? Suddenly decide to to? I don't know what. You know, I mean, it's it's all there. And and I think one of the beauties of the technology now is it makes it possible um, 
to teach yourself an awful lot of things if you have the the ear and and the 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 you're willing to work at it. Um, and, and along those lines, I mean, obviously, the solo piano record is the focus now. But is there somewhere in the future a, an orchestral record for you? Something that really focuses, you know, more more fully on on that. Big time. With, yeah. I mean, I, I to be honest, you know. Flint and Swift were just the, the kind of scratching the surface of, of what, what I kind of, yeah, I mean, like really going further into the, to the symphonic world and, and the potential of it, you know, I'm, that's, I, I feel like that's going to be, yeah, it's going to be, it's like the, the crest of the wave that right. I'm sort of waiting for, you know. Right, uh, well. And I'm building up to it. Yeah, no, it, it makes total sense. I'm glad to hear that, too. Yeah, um, yeah. And and along the, I mean, are you writing anything sort of on the back burner that is, you know, slowly coming together? That kind of writing, I'm doing something like that myself right now. It takes mm. a long time. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it takes months. I mean, I sometimes there are days where I just try to write four bars. Yeah, it's not yeah. like writing a song with a pocket and yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, and no, it, it it requires a completely different um, use of time. You know, it's it's uh, you're right. It's way more time consuming. Um, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of trying to like sow seeds as as and when mm-hmm. like little little pockets of melodies or or a chord progression and, and mm-hmm. you know, f- finding a place for it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm right now. It's the the solo piano thing, so that's kind of taking. Oh yeah, lots, yeah, and that's like. That's it's so funny because it's that this it seems so tiny, yet it's 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 so huge doing a solo record. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, when I say tiny, meaning in contrast to the, an orchestral work, which we all think of as huge, you know. Right, right, um, right. Uh, yeah, I remember Matheny joked about after um, the the last group album, which was basically um, uh, I think it was called The Way Up, was like a 50, 50 60 minute one piece of music. Said that well, I'm gonna the next album is gonna be 61 minute songs, you know, <laughs> because you know that's sort of that natural reaction to going the opposite direction, uh, and in a way, the solo piano as the focus makes a lot of sense that way because you've been doing orchestral works, they're just not the stereotype of of that, uh, yeah. where it's all yeah. acoustic and it's these specific instruments. You you must have. 32 strings and et cetera yeah. and all that. Uh, but that's what you've been doing. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I can see where the solo piano record makes makes not only a lot of sense, but a, a logical uh, way to then simplify things. And, yes. you know, yeah, definitely. I, I think that's a very key for, for me. It's like just always changing the, the, the canvas on which I'm going to create, you know, and, and so that I end up coming out with a, you know, or the, the the hope being that you end up coming out with something different each time. You know? Right, right. So I'm always sort of trying to change uh, change up the, the, the goalposts. You know? Well, I know i got to let you go pretty soon, but I wondered if it would be okay if we could talk about a couple songs and specifically. Mm. And, and, and if it's all right with you, if I have your permission you know, to build into the podcast, just playing a few samples of what we're talking about so of people course. can hear it. A, a large part of my audience, of course, is coming from this term that, I don't know, anybody who likes, smooth jazz. 
Uh, but they, so they may or may not be familiar with your music, and I want them to know it badly. And then there's going to be a whole audience who's very familiar with you, and they're going to love to hear you talk about in more detail specific songs that they've listened to hundreds of times. So, you know? uh, so. Let's. I've got some songs on on all three records. Um, uh, with Flint, you know, for me personally. Never Ending City was the thing that didn't just, you know, when you're my age, you have the moment you saw the Beatles on TV, you yeah. have a few other things that happen, um, but they don't happen that often anymore. Well, it happened when I heard Never Ending City, and I just realized I heard something that I was going to get very uh, involved with. Was that where where did that song come from in terms of, of of the album? Was it something that had been around for a while, or or was it written for the record? It was written for for the record actually. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, that was one I, I wrote um, actually. I remember we just landed for the first time in Tokyo, uh, and we were driving from the airport uh, to the venue, and and I remember the drive just kind of we kind of entered into this concrete jungle you know uh, sort of metropolis and I just remember sort of being and then I remember kind of coming up onto a sort of a, uh, like a, a highway and looking across and just seeing this kind of vast vast uh, concrete jungle you know mm -hmm. this kind of just sprawling endless city and I, I was just kind of really struck by that and I, it was whilst uh, I was looking at this I was working on that kind of um, that that first motif, the piano right, motif, right. and trying to get the drum the drum groove to feel right. Yeah, uh, yeah. and so yeah, so that's kind of where the <laughs> the concept came from was just this this idea of a city that, that never ends, you know. Um, so the kind of the piano motif being the people on on the move, and then I guess the violin line being us kind of cutting through it. Right, interesting. Oblivious. I'll to listen it, to it know. in a different way now, you know, an enhanced <laughs> way. Well, the, but right, what was interesting to me was just from note one, um, you introduced these elements within the first minute that were brand new but at the same time were your home are your hallmarks you, using it's so simple to say piano and strings because it doesn't sound like anything special but the way that you you use the strings is a completely uh different way in the jazz world in my opinion and and then of course your piano playing and the strings are so connected uh, it's interesting to hear you say that they were conceptually connected too, because uh, uh, they musically certainly come across that way. Then the next tune, then I only went to it because it was, you know, uh, looking at iTunes that day, uh, uh, tax day in 2014 in New Orleans. I'm in a hotel room and I'm the song that seems to be downloaded the most was Swag Times, which was, yeah. I guess, you know, there are hits from these records. It yeah. sounds funny to say it because I, I know you conceive it as an album and not as a bunch sure. of songs. Clearly, sure. it's, it's conceived that way. But that song, I mean, one of the things, and you'll laugh at this because it's just me, the musician, 
But one of the things that I always loved about it was hearing that bass. It is a bass clarinet, right? Come in halfway right. through the drum solo. I just, yeah. I love that, you know. And I, I remember <laughs> making a mental note: bass clarinet. Find a way to use that, you right, know. Right, uh, right, it was just right. such a wonderful sound and and so so fresh. Again, like Herbie, you know, the Headhunters thing. Oh, interesting. There you go. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've Um, got Sputz just brilliant playing with the time thing going on, which I love. Uh, And and then the bass clarinet reminding you where one is in case you weren't sure. (laughs) Uh, You know, and and it's just, 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 these are the small bits of brilliance that, that, I mean, thousands of moments like that make up make up your albums but that 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 was one that stuck with me and of course the beginning groove which i don't i have to ask you was that intentionally meant for people to to feel like they knew where one was was. and then no you don't know where one is yeah i mean it's funny i the, the the demo of that song is actually it's 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 a very it's quite a different drum beat to what spot ended up playing but it right but the, the the it still has the, a similar effect of kind of mm-hmm. you know, the, the the main thing was that yeah make sure nobody knows where one is that right was, right that was the goal, you know and so I was like got it no <laughs> right I'm sure yeah thank you probably thank you for 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 giving them that present to play on so that no it's a wonderful groove but you know. It, it, and, and the other thing about swag times, and, and the, of course, it also makes me feel so good to see that this is the kind of music that so many people are, are purchasing. And, and you know, that the, the, I don't know how many choruses it is in the latter part of the tune where a metamorphosis happens with the composition and the sounds. I, I mean, it is just like a kaleidoscope effect that I've listened to many, many times. Sometimes, you know, most of the time I'm just lost in it. But sometimes with a pad of paper, because I want to learn something from this. You know, this right. is this is, you know, uh, incredible modern orchestration with a combination of acoustics and electronics. It's hard to tell what's what, you know, because it's so <laughs> it's so. But that was another, you know, wonderful um, thing in the record and and. Uh, and I definitely want to, want people to hear a little a little bit of that. And then you know the other song that stuck with me, I wanted you to talk about a little bit was "Money in the Desert," uh, yes. Um, which is a, what I guess I you may have heard this term or not, pocket symphony. Have you ever heard? Okay. That? It was it was used about Brian Wilson's song "Good Vibrations," uh, oh, wow. when people were trying to describe how in a four minute song you could. Yeah, they called it a pocket symphony. Many oh, of yeah. your compositions would fit that category, but "Money in the Desert." definitely hit me it was like a long form composition and as as a composer i've written long form things they last eight nine ten minutes this was like a long form composition that happened in a many many things happened in a much more condensed time
When was that composed specifically for this album too? It was, yeah. So that that was actually um, I, I wrote that at the Emirates Lounge in Dubai <laughs> Airport. Wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> Uh, and I was, I mean, the title actually came from the fact that, you know, I'm sat in the middle of this, in the middle of this desert, basically, in, you know, in the middle of nowhere in Dubai. Like, I remember flying in and it was just like, you know, just desert everywhere. And then suddenly you're in this glitzy airport and there's like designer right. clothing everywhere. Right. And it, it just seemed like this strange kind of paradox, of, you know, and so that's where money, money in the desert. Wow. You know, your, your titles always have a quality to them that makes me think. Think, I don't know what this is could That's be, gonna, and yeah. then when you tell me it, they make perfect sense. They're right out, <laughs> and you're using your seeing the world part. That's the other way yeah, that musicians yeah. are blessed. They get to see the world in ways that a lot of people don't. That's um, it. That's it. I think if you can utilize that, and yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, it's true that a lot of the material I, I've, I've written, I, I find, is it's inspired by by the places I've been. You know, right. That's kind of where it all starts for me. Right. Uh, well, I wanted uh, to ask you about one last song. Um, it's the last song on the new album, After Sun, called A Blaze. Yeah. Um, which, you know, give, it's an incredible groove, but your keyboard work is, is astounding on it. You know, this is the thing. It's so easy to lose when, when the composing is so strong. Uh, it's, it's very easy to lose the fact that underneath that is a, a virtuistic player. Uh, and not just with the acoustic piano but you know your your roads work is is comes from another generation yet it sounds totally <laughs> modern you know you uh, you're single-handedly bringing that instrument uh you know back but the other thing as a guitarist i couldn't help notice was the uncanny guitaristic like yeah. i don't know is that a clavinet run it is. oh okay it i wasn't is. sure what i mean that was my guess John Hammer did the theme for uh, Miami Vice, and you know, with the, the famous guitar distortion after his years with John McLaughlin, I guess he, he couldn't take it anymore, <laughs> and he had to, had to. I can do this too, um, but uh, yes, yeah, so that 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 groove. I mean, was that something that you demoed first, or was that something that happened in the studio? That was actually an interesting one. The, the original demo of that song was actually a, a drum and bass track mm -hmm. uh, and, we, and we tried it as drum and bass and it just didn't it just wasn't working for whatever reason so we kind of we, we, we talked about it and we filtered it back to kind of what was exciting about mm -hmm. the song that compositionally uh, and we just found it was that kind of that, that riff that starts at the top of the solo um, it's just like two chords really and so then we just we sort of hashed out different different versions of grooves in in the in the track of them just as a trio and we recorded some ideas and we came back into mm -hmm. the ballroom and we listened back to it and we all looked at each other and we just said hendrix <laughs> really? wow and, and hendrix was just like the kind of 
you know that was the meeting the, point the spirit of in there the concept, yeah you know and and so from yeah so we just put down that that rhythm track and and that you know i remember mike and spot really encouraging me to kind of you know try and lose myself yeah basically. yeah you know, that's yeah. the whole book and that's the whole concept and that's what the title is kind of that sort of critical mass where you just like you're out and you're off right right and like the fire has has taken off captured that live feeling and when I say that live feeling I don't mean the sound that it was live that spirit that when you the music is playing you and not the other way around it, it's it sounds like that when that you captured that yeah. uh, and your organ playing on that is is really great too uh-huh. uh, you know it, it where did that that those skills with with all of this palette of other instruments come from um it's yeah i mean i i, I don't know it's it's snarky again has been mm-hmm. a big part of that you know just sort of touring with them and, and being able to play lots of different uh, keyboards you know and because there's so many of us uh, in rotation with snarky we're all mm-hmm. kind of taking turns to play different roles and stuff so i was lucky enough to kind of be exposed to that but but so at, at the, the studio in new orleans where we recorded after sun is a place called parlor studios mm-hmm. and they have some of the best vintage analog keyboard Ooh, gear wow. i've ever come yeah. across you know and we found this this clavinet this is the most I mean, it's the best clarinet I've ever played. You know, we we spent a long time sort of fine tuning the the, the the pedals and the effects on the, on that instrument to mm-hmm. to make to give it that kind of guitar that Hendrix right, feel. Right, right. So we really take it take it there. And what what did you run? Were these on board effects that you put it through, or did did you have any kind of pedals? Yeah, it's it's, it's actually all pedals. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, it's funny. Well, if you're trying to get that sound. I mean. You know, yeah. getting it through a plug-in is really not the same thing, you know. Exactly. I know it's funny how a $60 box can sometimes, you so, know, I've got a, as a guitar player, I have, a, I'm like, a, I've got a, a museum in my studio of boxes like that, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, that, 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 that they're, they're great to have. Well, Bill, thank you for being so generous with your time and what I know is a really busy period and, and continued success with, with the tour and uh, with with uh, the the DVD, the live uh, DVD for After Sun, and the, the the piano album coming in coming in, uh, it sounds like early 2017. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, and I'm looking forward to sharing our interview and 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 your music with hopefully not only people who are big fans already, but people who are going to just now discover you. Fantastic! It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks thanks for having me. Yeah. And there it is, my conversation with keyboardist and composer extraordinaire Bill Lawrence. You can check out all his music at iTunes as well as Amazon. You can go to his website 
and uh, he has a very nice website, very well done with a lot of information there. And don't forget, you can find all 22 of my albums at iTunes, Amazon, at my website, and many other places. And don't forget, my 23rd album, my next album, is coming very soon. I'm putting the finishing touches on it uh, as we speak. Uh, It'll be out in September, but I'll, of course, be making it available to you all sometime in August exclusively at my website before it's released everywhere else. So thanks again for joining me in my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and please stay tuned for the next episode. I don't know when it's going to be, but you know it's going to happen. Until then, I'm Ken Navarro.